How far back? I ask with a sigh. What about the storm? He says, tapping his pen. Tell me about that. From what I've seen in your file, that seems to push a button. On the other side of the brick and bars, I hear the sound of the scum spilling out into the yard below, hooting in the cold air. Their words drift skyward in smoky puffs. The noise of their obscene banter is muffled by the dirty window of the small, square room. I look out and see the wall. At its crest, the empty eye of the tower stares down, a guard bent over a book, his rifle nowhere in sight. I think about Jessica, my wife. Pretty dark hair, sexy in a girlish way. She was a sweet girl. That's how I'd describe her. What she was, even after everything. Even though I blame her. How sick. How could a prison head doctor understand that? I never thought I could kill anyone, I say. Then I sigh again because I know I'm going to tell him, even though it won't do either of us any good. I don't mean in a rage or in self-defense or in a war. I mean killing someone to get what you want. That wasn't me. But even the best of us has that bad side. I'm not saying I was the best, but I wasn't the worst either. I think I was about where most people are. It was the situation. He's taking notes now, the blue bick rolling across the yellow paper. One fat finger is constricted by a college ring with an orange stone. The gold inscriptions are flattened and worn. I'm used to the shrink's writing when I talk, but not this way, in big looping letters that list to one side. What, he says. Nothing. I loved my wife, Jessica. I loved the men, too. The ones I killed. You believe that? But love, hate, sometimes they're close, right? The shrink smiles like I just figured out that the world is round. He grabs his college ring and gives it a twist. And I wanted the money. Real money. Yeah, I know, I had millions coming to me, but the more money you have, the more you want. You own a mansion on the beach in Tortola, you want a private plane to get there. Then your neighbor takes you out on his yacht, and you think how nice that'd be. Maybe a chopper to get there quicker. It never ends. Trust me. When I started out, I thought if I could make $100,000 a year with a mortgage-free house, I'd have everything I ever needed. That was before Jessica, though. You blame that on her, then, he asks. This greed? I grew up where you didn't try to pass things off on other people, I say. But you listen, then you figure out how much of it was me and how much her. You'll get it. I take a deep breath and say, Six years ago. But it doesn't seem that long. It was a bad night. In what way? In the way that after that it was all downhill, I say. 
The weather, too, this cold rain and wet snow that fell straight down. The sky was black. Chapter 2 I was shivering. Slush plastered the hair to my head in ropes. Melted snow dripped off my nose into my mouth. I wiped it with the tip of my finger and smelled the dead animal smell of the batting gloves on my hands. My black windbreaker rubbed quietly against my jeans, while the rubber boots that came up almost to my knees squeaked softly. My truck waited out on the road, outside the boundaries of the 10,000-acre hunting preserve, far enough away so that no one would see me come or go. It was a two-and-a-half-mile walk to the lodge. I call it a lodge, but that doesn't give you the real picture. The place was as big as the man who created it. A monster laid out nearly 300 feet end-to-end. Something out of Disney World. Out of scale. Logs as thick as manholes and longer than telephone poles stacked three stories high. The roof, two-inch-thick rough-cut cedar planks, towered above. The main chimney stood 50 feet tall. The foundation boulders were the size of small cars. Inside, there was 50,000 square feet of space with beds for 40 people. European antiques, ancient firearms, Remington bronze casts, mounted animal heads, and century-old paintings filled every open space. There was a movie theater, a hot tub room, a catering kitchen, an elevator, and a wine cellar with catacombs like an English castle. I walked to the bridge and stood where you could see the house across the half-mile-wide man-made lake while a bizarre flash of lightning brightened the sky. There was no thunder, only silence, so strong that it hummed in my ears. In that blink of light, I saw a truck left outside next to the dark brown lodge. It looked like a matchbox toy next to the building. Through the falling slush, a dull yellow glow leaked from the upper windows. The lodge had been built on a peninsula, and I had to go another mile around the back end of the lake and into the woods guarding the main entrance with only the sound of my squeaking boots to keep me company. A circular cobblestone drive led upward to the main entrance and then back down past a small apple orchard and to an underground parking garage. I trudged up, my boots slapping in the slush, then descended a hidden set of wrought iron stairs that led to a lower level beneath the elevated drive. The space was dank with the smell of wet stone. The double doors, like all the doors in the lodge, were salvaged from an 11th-century Persian fortress. They were arched, bound and studded in bronze with bolts and hinges meant to keep invaders out. But this was upstate New York, a rural place where people left the keys in their cars and their front doors unlocked. The security system at the lodge was to protect against stealth, not force. Every entrance electronically monitored by iPass. Family members and a handful of close friends, I was considered something in between, all had their retina patterns programmed in the system. I punched the button and put my eye to the small opening, staring into the green light until there was a small, sharp beep. The lock clicked and the light on the keypad went from red to green. 
One muted rumble of thunder rolled overhead as I slipped inside. When I shut the door, I could hear the blood pulsing in my temples. Water dripped off me onto the stone floor. On the wall, I saw my picture. Among all the photos from hunts over the years, I was posed between James King and his son Scott. Ben was there, too. The four of us with shotguns, a black lab and big smiles, a double row of broken mallards beneath our waders. Past the picture wall were racks of camouflage hunting clothes, jackets, pants, and hats, a wall full of boots, blaze orange for deer season, leafy green for turkey, pale yellow striped with brown cattails for duck. Ahead stood three mounted wolves fighting a moose. Another mount showed a bear doing battle with a bull elk. A yellow light spilled out from the hot tub room. The sound of the churning water made my stomach queasy. I eased my way close enough so I could peer through the bars and the ancient doors. Plush ruby-red towels and steam curling up from the bubbling cobblestone pool. But no one in the tub. I slipped inside and checked the showers. Empty. I steadied myself against the rough granite wall and breathed the warm, damp air. When the pounding in my head subsided, I headed for the family hunting lockers, looking for the one with Scott painted on a wood placard, along with a birch tree and a wolverine. I knew the combination. Why wouldn't I? Scott and I had been good friends since college. He taught me to hunt. The door clicked and swung open. The light went on. The bone-handled knife was on a shelf. Scott traded a pair of jeans for the razor-sharp blade with a Mozambican poacher while he was on a safari. I unsheathed.